Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching here on the campus of Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. My name is Jared Piles and with me is Dr. Rob McDowell. We are constantly looking for ways to help you innovate your teaching and your instruction, be it face-to-face or hybrid or online. And we are currently in a series talking about the community of inquiry and online learning. And we have with us a distinguished guest to talk about uh, content delivery and cognitive presence, Dr. Norm Vaughn. Hello, Dr. Vaughn. Hey, Jared and Rob, it is a real pleasure to be with you here today. And uh, yeah, excited about the opportunity to talk to you about the community of inquiry framework. It sounds like specifically you're interested in cognitive presence this morning. Yes, sir. Now, first off, you say community of inquiry and we say community of inquiry. Is that a Canadian versus American difference? Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is, Jared. Same thing. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so if I go across the border, I need to use the the long eye inquiry instead. You know, it's it's our British traditions. Hey, eh? you know, was remember 1776? We had that little revolutionary war. And yeah. We decided we'd try and stay as British as we could. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, eh? That makes sense. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> eh, that's right, Rob. Eh? You betcha. <laughs> Oh, wait, that's yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah, right. close enough. Yeah. So give us a quick background about yourself, how you got into higher education, that kind of thing. Yeah, super. So my background is um, I'm a petroleum geologist, ended up uh, working for Exxon for a number of years. We decided you guys needed your our dirty oil. We've got the third <laughs> largest reserves in the world, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and then our tar sands. We needed to pipe that down to you. So I was a geologist, but got into corporate training pretty quickly. And then from that, ended up teaching in Japan, teaching in China, teaching in uh, our northern parts of our country, and finally sort of melded the two sort of corporate training and and university. And I've been uh, at universities now for about the past 25 years in both teaching and learning centers and in faculties of education. That's what I call a very broad and... uh long career. Sounds really exciting. You know, in my mind, Rob, I'm always 19, but I hate to say it when I look in the mirror, I'm getting towards the end there, guy. (laughs) Well, this is an audio podcast. So as far as anyone else knows, you're 25. That's right. Thank you. I'm Jared, 25. Let's go. He looks more like, what was that guy's name that you mentioned earlier with Taylor Swift? Travis Kelsey. Yeah. He looks, he looks more like Travis Kelsey. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Thank you guys. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) So, would you uh, spend a little bit of time and give us just a real brief summary of of cognitive presence and how it fits into the COI framework for our listeners? You know, one of the first faculty members at the Rockefeller University, the University of Chicago, when they hired uh, this guy, John Dewey, and what a difference he's made. And, you know, about cognitive presence, it really is John's work that sits on it. It was pretty simple framework. You have an experience, you reflect and take action. So then both David Kolb over at Case Western um, University in, in Ohio, you're, you're somebody's hey. home there, yeah. and uh, Randy's work up in Canada was, you know, it really does start with, with, with a good question, you know, a triggering event and how we move forward. 
but it's kind of neat too. It also relates to a lot of work that Dennis has been doing, Dennis Litke up in Maine. And I think you're probably familiar with Dennis's work, Big Picture Dog Org and College Unbounded. You know, he talks a lot about the three R's, you know, the importance of relevance, that, that students are really curious, they're connected to their learning. The second R is relationships, you know, it's that mm -hmm. sense of community and collaboration. And last but not least, Dennis really hits on the importance of rigor, you know, just like mm. video gaming. If there's not a challenge, nothing goes on. And, you know, when you think of Outward Bound, Kurt Lewin and all those guys, I think Piaget talked about cognitive dissonance, you know, getting kids a little uncomfortable. And that's where the real learning takes place. So with cognitive presence, you know, it really starts with a good question. And, and again, like Dennis's work, you know, we build the curriculum around those questions. So what's the trigger event? What, what gets kids' minds going? And then once we do that, how do they explore? And again, what's so important for all of us as educators today is that we look at both sides of the story. We don't get siloed into one or the other. You know, we're not suddenly on the left or the right, but we're looking at both perspectives. And then as we do the exploration, you know, it's time to kick the tires. We've got to really integrate our learning, you know, put the theory into practice. And what's been exciting for me is all our liberal arts practicums all have placements and practicums. So, you know, it's not just sitting in the classroom with your feet up. You're really putting your learning into practice when you're out there. And then ultimately, hopefully you're coming to some resolution about the inquiry, about the problem you had, you're applying it. Or in a lot of cases, it just reads to another question and you go up. The thing about cognitive presence we've, we've discovered, it just can't happen on its own. If we want to have a really good educational experience, there's got to be that social context to it because we are social beings. And the key, the real key is the teaching presence. And again, it's not the teacher, it's the teaching. We all have skin in the game. This isn't a student center. This isn't a teacher-centered environment. This is a learning and centered environment. We're all in this together. And what we've discovered, and again, you know, Jared, you mentioned we've got the new book we just rolled out this week, is the importance of emotional presence. So, you know, originally we mm. just had the three presence, the, the cognitive, the social, the teaching to help with the educational experience. But we're seeing that it's all enveloped in emotion. You know, it, it just, there's a lot going on in the world right now and emotion, you know, you're looking into all these neurons and, and sort of neuroplasticity, the way the kids' minds work is they really are triggered by their emotions. So that's one area that we're really starting to push on with the community inquiry framework. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds like it, I mean, from my perspective, I would wonder if that belonged more in the social presence or even the teacher presence area to address those two. I've never now, thought Rob, of... Just, just, just be careful, Rob. It's teaching. It's not teacher presence. Right, it's right. teaching presence. No, 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 Rob, we often have this confusion. People talk about instructor presence or the teacher. Again, the presence, the teaching presence is all of us, that we all have skin in the game. And again, I think we all know, Rob, by the end of the course, we want to do ourselves out of the business. The students are doing it the work. I think it was Pensees back in the 17th century. To teach is to learn twice. Mm. And when we start to dig into a lot of indigenous cultures around the world, for example, the, the Maori in New Zealand, they don't have a word for learn. They don't have a word for teach. It's how I teach to learn and I learn through my teaching. Hmm. That's great. <laughs> well, then we need to correct our understanding. I guess so. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, been a, it's been a real issue, unfortunately, with the community of inquiry framework. And again, 
that's where we've really tried to focus on this book is sort of our seven principles of blended and online learning. You would still, I would think, spend some time thinking about how you're going to teach something or how you're going to participate as a teacher, even in that teaching presence. Exactly, Rob. So again, the seven principles um, are built, built around the three parts of teaching presence, design, facilitation, and direction. Mm -hmm. So in terms of designing a course, again, you know, for most of us, and I'm in a professional program, I can't make up the outcomes. They've been guided um, by our external accrediting body. So we've got the outcomes, but what's the environment we're going to do? And Rob, what's really exciting, I've got three sections of the same course, but I've got three different communities because I've got three different groups of humans and they bond in different ways. So again, when we're designing a course, you know, just like instructional design, corporate work, which I'm so involved with, is the needs assessment, really understanding the needs and where the students come from. And again, going back to Dennis Litke's work up in Maine, is really understanding where the students are coming from so that we can connect the learning with their prior experience. They're not coming in as blank slates so that we're not shooting above them and we're not shooting below them. Yeah. So practically speaking, what are some of these strategies or methods that you found that are most effective in fostering cognitive presence? Yeah. So with us, Jared, it really comes down to the seven principles and two principles related to design, two facilitation, two direction. And again, the most important one that your assessment is, is, is constructively aligned with your outcomes. So it really begins Jared with design, the most important thing and the thing we do terrible. I think it was Donald Norman at Evergreen College, a great book for your listeners, teaching with your mouth shut. How important it is at the beginning of a course, Jared, to listen to the students, let them tell their stories, find out what the prior experience is, that strategy for number one. And when you look at any sort of, you know, religious area, cultural area, whatever, it's all built on the stories. And again, every time we hear a story, we're at a different point in our life and it means something different. So again, really getting the student voiced in, in the beginning. And there's so many easy ways to do it. We can do needs assessment. We can do online discussions, small groups, you name it. The next thing that's so important is the facilitation. And again, Jared, I think that's where the confusion is. It's not, you know, I'm a guide on the side one minute and then I'm a sage on the stage. But it's modeling, and especially for the online courses, Jared. So first, again, with the design, the practical strategy is finding out about your students more than their names. And again, these are learning spaces, not social spaces. So it's got to be connected to the outcomes of our course. The second part around the facilitation is really modeling it. Again, the biggest thing I find, Jared, we assume kids know how to collaborate in the working groups. Mm. My experience over the X number of years, they don't. You know, it goes back to my dad's work with Tuckman back in the 60s. You know, Tuckman's, uh, just his cycles of group development. Take them through that. See the norming, see, or the storming, the norming, the performing. Take it. The next part, and this really comes out of Cass Sustine's work um, over at Harvard, the nudge factor is we've got to push. Again, you can break, bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. But we got to nudge them forward with the inquiry. This is what all our research with cognitive presence has found. The kids are great about identifying questions, great about exploring, but the application, mm. we need to gently push them into that. 
push them out of the swimming pool or push them from the shallow of the deep end. And finally, the biggest thing, Jared, where it falls down assessment, and that's the big focus on our campus right now, is assessment. And again, we use all those fancy words, authentic assessment, but it starts with the kids. They have to learn to self-assess themselves meaningfully. They have to learn to give feedback to each other. I live or die on pure feedback. Jared, that book you just talked about me, holy jump in the constructive criticism I got about that to make it work, but it works. Mm. And then finally, it's not just us as teachers, but how can we bring the experts? How can we bring professionals in, whether it's in the automotive area, um, philosophy, whatever, but how can we get feedback from others? So in my program, it's a no-brainer. We get principals, um, you know, future employers giving feedback. Again, most of it's formative. You know, the, the rubber hits the road with me. I'm still the course instructor. So all the summative feedback comes from me. So... That was a lot. It was really good. Yeah. Um, and but one thing I want to drill down on, if you don't mind, is yes. specifically how would a faculty member in an online format or even let's say a hybrid format put some of these strategies, some of these principles that you're talking about into play? Do you have an example of how you might do cognitive presence and and in an online format. So the first thing, again, we want to make sure that what they're working on aligns with the outcomes of our course. But again, Rob, I think it's so important is that rather than us, students are generating their own questions, their own triggering events, because that's the way the practical inquiry cycle begins. And again, they could do it in small groups. They could do it maybe, again, depending on the course size, they probably couldn't do individual meetings with you. But it starts with really helping them define the questions. And again, you know, Rob, Jared, we think that's an easy thing to do. It's not. 90% of my students go right for closed questions. They don't go mm. open questions. So we do a lot of work about what is a good in question and really what is inquiry. Then the second thing and again, this is where they often really get siloed, is when they move to the exploration phase, they're just going to one camp. So maybe, you know, it could be artificial intelligence. You know, what are the pros? What are the cons? You may have people that just are really concerned about it and they go to con side. So let's go both sides and let's do this in a community. So you're not doing it alone. Again, Rob, one of the wonderful things about me, especially with the community of inquiry, is a lot of these folks who develop the framework are now retired. So I can get the students reading literature around specific parts of the community inquiry that relate to their inquiry. And then they'll like a blog posting, they'll do a critique of the article, but then I'll get the author of that article to come in and critique their critique. And man, does that ever <laughs> make it meaningful? And Rob, it really pushes them along with the inquiry cycle. But, you know, when we think of cognitive presence, there really is the four components, the trigger event, the exploration, integration, or resolution application. This is a circular process because too often the way we're set up in higher education is we're set up in a linear process like yeah. A, B, C, D, is this is an iterative process. You know, looking, we've been really fortunate just We've got people that are heavily connected with Apple, and Apple does a lot of work with that design firm in San Francisco, IDO. So ID's, IDO has a lot about those design principles that just mesh so well with the uh, community of inquiry. Let's say that I'm inheriting a course. 
I, I can't touch the objectives. I can't touch the assessments. How can I continue to promote cognitive when I don't have a lot of room to work as much? Two-thirds of the students coming into a course have forgot what they lost last semester. So, Jared, that's <laughs> the first thing we have to work on is the disconnect between classes because, man, we have we have almost fistfights at departmental meetings, Jared. Like, no, I covered that. They should know that. <laughs> well, you know, let me tell you something. For some reason, they can't. You look at, okay, we are going to go football. Think about the reps that Mahomes and Kelsey do. It's practice and repetition over and over again. So, Jared, before we get into doing the new outcomes and stuff of the new course, we got to find out what they know and what they don't know, Jared, mm, yeah. because, you know, the old biblical story, you know, are you going to build your house on a good foundation of rock or are you going to build it on sand? You don't have, if they're not on a good foundation, and again, Jared, this is where they're all over the place. And I think technology be, can be kind of useful because some of them need a lot of remediation. And, you know, yeah. I am going to give a little shout out to Khan's Academy. Often it's with math and they need to go through those over and over go so they can do it. And Jared, again, I am so squeezed by our state or our provincial regulations about mm -hmm. what I can and I can't teach. There are really specific outcomes in terms of knowledge, skills, and attitudes, attributes that our students have to come out to be certified to teach in our state or our province. So there is not a lot of wiggling wiggle room about the, the outcomes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But where I do have some flexibility is how students do it. So you mentioned assignments. So, and I'll be honest, Jared, I'm old school. It used to be a lot of writing essays and things like that. But I think there's some really new different ways where students can demonstrate their learning through some of these different tools. And I think that's going to be a bigger and bigger focus in higher education, Rob and Jared, is how do we harness these tools? Because, you know, I've heard in our English department, you know, some of the conventional essays they can't use anymore because even the turn it in, even the plagiarism things can't do it. Yeah. So we've got to find out new ways to help students learn to write stuff. So the two things to response on that. The first thing before we dive into the outcomes of the present course, we really need to be conscious of what they're bringing to the class and what remediation they need to do. And Jared, I'll be honest, we probably like you folks, we have an amazing student learning service here. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't call it remediation, but if I've got a student who's got serious issues with writing or something, this is a huge issue for us in education because you know we've got to have grads who've got the writing skills is i can actually redesign the assignment so that they actually have to work with a student learning specialist mm, yeah. to help them with the assignment yeah so one of the things i also wanted to just drop back on here is to push on the assessment uh, the initial assessment of students as they're coming in, finding out what they know. One of the things we've used or we've talked about is using surveys. But the question that a lot of faculty that we know have asked is, you know, when you have a large online population or a large class in an online format, how would you go about figuring that out, you know, in a timely manner? Rob, this is me because I am old it was this guy, he was with the American Air Force. His name was Gregor Novak, 
He ended up working at Indiana University at Bloomington for a while. He's the one who came up with that JIT idea, just-in-time teaching. And Rob, I'll make sure I send you on some of those websites because it's specifically do, looking with large enrollment classes. And so for him, we'll do surveys and then we'll do Mazur's. You probably already you know Eric Mazur's peer instruction, all that kind of stuff he does at Harvard. But I really like Gregor's work because he doesn't always do surveys. It's a bit like you know classroom assessment techniques. We've got different techniques. But what he did, Rob, is before the students had come in, they would do some pre-assessment survey. And he was looking at more the macro level rather than the micro, like maybe biology it was mitosis. You know, two thirds didn't understand it. So he would do the survey before class, but the way he would bring, he would start every class, which would either be back in that day, it would be face-to-face. -face. It might be Microsoft Teams now. It'd be a large group of teams, but he would start that by actually displaying the survey data and then developing activities around the data to get students talking about different issues. And, and I know, Rob, I'll be honest, I haven't kept up with it, but but the folks in physics have really gone wild with this. You know, we've got Eric Mazur over at Harvard, and then who's that? It's Dion. I can't believe Dion Sanders is coaching. Yeah, UC, can you believe that? You Boulder, can you believe that? <laughs> it's so insane. That's, that, that's who's that Wyman guy? So so I think on a per capita basis, I think CU Bob, CU Boulder has more Nobel Prize winners on staff than any other university in the States. And one of the key ones for me is Carl Wyman, who got the Nobel Prize in 1980 for his work with theoretical physics. And he's put all that money into first-year physics work. And, and just the cool stuff he's doing, and I'll send you the work. The reason I know it a little bit, we love to play hockey. And we actually brought, we brought Carl up to Canada on a contract mm -hmm. and it's called the Carl Wyman Science Institute at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. It's one of our largest universities. But what Carl did, and, and these are big classes, he blew up. So there's no more first year physics, no more first year file, biology or chemistry. It's science one and science two. And he took mm -hmm. the community of inquiry. I mean, he did most of his homework, but he did use our framework. And just, it's all about inquiry. It's getting kids first year, first semester, doing science experiments that really mean a lot to them. Hmm. And, and Rob, just back to your point, you know, I, I still, you know, it's so easy to do now, but you know, Mazur's big thing was that peer instruction. I don't know if you've ever seen a video. He, he's a pretty charismatic guy, and I think he's still in charge of, you know, reorganizing the undergraduate curriculum at Harvard. But, you know, it was back, it was clickers in the day. Now the kids have phones or different devices. But I find that really valuable for large classes. And when I have to teach them, I do. You know, the trick is to get a really good question. It's that old big parent share. You know, you get a question. Um, everybody votes individually. Um, you show the results. They're all over the place. And you say, okay, put down your phones or whatever talk to your neighbor, work out the problem again with your neighbor, and then just vote one vote per group. And you see, hey, it works. Mm. Okay, now exchange your text number, your cell number, or whatever with your group, and this will be your study buddy for the semester. Oh, wow. I, I'll that, send you that stuff. That, he, he's a pretty cool dude. That is awesome. But I also love the idea of having a pre-class survey, displaying the results, and then building activities off of that because that is showing the relevance of the face-to-face -face and the instruction to the students. 
Well, Jared, and on that again, just, you know, what's one of our older books, I think it's Blended Learning and Higher Education. We really went through this in detail because, you know, I think everything's always been blended. People make fun of me. You know, the introduction of the book, we expect kids to do reading before and we get upset. Hmm. But Jared, how do we create that cycle so that we're getting kids excited to come to class we're building on what they do before class, and then we're following it up after it. Rob, this sort of leads a little into your idea of assessment, and I've been playing with this a little bit recently, is, you know, we, we've got sort of the pre-assessment, which, which in a way is sort of yourself assessing yourself before class. Mm. But then when we're in class, Jared, again, not just displaying the results, but how can we get more peer feedback going? So, so they're not formally assessing each other's work, because obviously, you know, they're not able to do that yeah. but how are they able to give more and more constructive feedback because rob and jared my kids are are terrified you know especially in online discussions they do not want to criticize anybody else's yeah. work but we always go with sort of two stars and i wonder so let's talk about you know with kindergarten a kid drew a turtle two specific things they did well hey i like the color of your turtle and and, and i like an eye but but i wonder if the turtle has feet you know <laughs> And we just practice that even in universities. And then what we can do after, and Jared, this is the key. It's not just what happens before class, but you know, we time out of class. I think we call it TOC. That's where I really worry about what, you know, we get all this excitement going during class time. How can we continue that out? That's where we really got to work on those really meaningful inquiry projects where they're working with experts in the field um, or interviewing people on campus. That's where it gets exciting and well. So, you know, Jared, it's not just the connection before class. The one that worries me is the after class. Mm. But 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 I think what's really, 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 you know, again, important is, is that the students can start to see themselves in this because too often there's just so much happening online. And Rob, I know for me, outcomes are important, but we can just overwhelm them with content, you know. The more that they can find their own content and share it with each other's mm. the best. And again, Jared, Rob, I'm not sure what your teaching and learning center is set up, but ours is under-resourced, underfunded, and we do really work as a team. And it's wonder, our teaching and learning center is in the library. So one of our biggest allies and our biggest partners are the librarians. And my gosh, and they've been really great with us in terms of, you know, Rob, helping with cognitive presence, but helping with the inquiry projects, helping the students discover and curate their own resources. And again, you know, I'm not going to dish Wikipedia. Wikipedia is one source, but it's tough more and more, Rob and Jerry, I, I can't speak, you know, for, for your clock, for your institution, but we don't have a lot of books in libraries anymore. Mm. We are paying thousands of dollars for these online subscriptions and we're finding students don't know how to use them so you know with cognitive presence a big part is is looking for the different perspectives but looking at them in peer-reviewed journals so we've really had a lot of work with our librarians and rather than them just doing simple searching is getting them to go through like the inquiry and the peer review process sorry Again, I'm talking too much. <laughs> oh, funny. we're just sitting here soaking it in, soaking it in. Yeah, so we, we appreciate you coming on, Dr. Vaughn, and we'll have you on again soon. Oh, yeah, this was excellent. Thank you so much, guys. And if you need any follow-up, just let me know. And, and I think I sent the link to the book, but 
please, you know, we're not trying to make money. Just, just get it out there. Yeah, we'll awesome. definitely get it out there. We appreciate yeah. it. That was Dr. Norm Vaughn joining us. That was like a fire hose. That was excellent. It was so good. I think, I think our listeners are going to have to go through and maybe back up and listen, back up oh, and listen. I know I'm going there's to. There's <laughs> so many little d- different things. I feel like it was like a doing um, a scavenger hunt. Oh, wow. Doing a scavenger hunt with his, with his uh, responses will be super fun. All the different names and yeah. resources and the acronyms Go he was find using it. were so good. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us today on the Transform Your Teaching podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe and leave us a review uh, and check out our blog at uh, cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog. And we'll see you next time.